0: Welcome to God's Planning. contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. My name is Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, and I'm joined um, via, as we're now fond of commenting, uh, by the magic wires. That's probably That's a new one. Um, I'm joined yes. by Father Gregory Maria Pine of the Thomistic Institute. He is all the way in Washington, DC. He shouts very loudly though, so I can hear him here in Providence, Rhode Island. It's just incredible. Sometimes, I mean, we were, we were on the call earlier and I think somebody cut the string between the tin cans. Uh, Yeah, which made it difficult. (laughs) And that might explain some of the problems we were having. (laughs) Um, Right now in Providence, um, we, I've been sitting through with, um, a pastor at the St. Pius Church, Father James Sullivan, that's one of my responsibilities, as you know, um, at St. Pius. And we've been thinking about um, all the things that we're going to have to do um, to allow people to come back to Mass. And those conversations, to me, are just really exciting. They're heartening. Uh, even though you know it's going to continue to be some weeks, um, the Bishop of Providence is talking about Pentecost, May nice. 31st, as a possible back to Mass date. Um, But I know down at the TI, you guys have been doing some, some thinking about this. Um, Father Gregory, do you have any comments on the, the hopes for back to mass for us?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so how to describe best. So on the, if you go to org website, you'll find there a tab at the top called COVID-19 and the sacraments. And the director of the Thomistic Institute, Father Dominic Legge, uh, has been working very closely, uh, with infectious disease specialists, epidemiologists, doctors, other pastors, uh, in the church. Uh, to come up with, um, it's basically a working group uh, to describe how best to distribute the sacraments in a time of plague. Um, the idea being that the sacraments, right, are necessary for the flourishing of the people of God, growth in the life of grace, uh, freedom from sin, and uh, you know, encouragement unto eternity. So it's not a matter of like whether or not; it's a matter of how. Uh, and yeah, he's just uh, gotten some really excellent input and um, come up with some creative solutions, which. Uh, have an eye towards the uh, like the dignity of the sacraments and their distribution Um, and then uh, The desire of the people of God obviously to approach the altar Um, and then their kind of care and solicitude for others to whom They do not want to spread contagion. So it's just like it's very simple stuff that you can kind of like read through point by point That takes account of the best kind of CDC and WHO guidelines uh, and also the best sacramental like theology and uh, canon law So it's a resource for bishops and pastors to implement as they reintroduce the sacraments um, in a more public or broadly accessible fashion uh, in their uh, in their diocese and their jurisdictions. So it's awesome. He's done yeoman work, and it's really impressive.
0: But it's just I, it's just so exciting to see. Okay, we're we're to the point in this where we're starting to think now um, again what what is it going to look like for the church to be worshiping visibly? You know, as the body of Christ that she is. Uh, uh, that we're, we're just longing for that right now, each and every one of us. Um, you know, we've already we've, we've done a lot of things to make the sacraments available. I know you've been hearing drive-through confessions in Providence. Um, we've, we're still hearing confessions in the church. Uh, our our churches are open. Uh, we're just using this behind the screen only, priests wear masks and we sit six feet away from people, uh, which our confessionals provide for. So, so there have been some ways that um, we've we've been able to continue to be present. Uh, uh, and th- those ways are important. But looking for the next things, um, again, uh, is just hardening um, to begin to see the light uh, as, yeah. we, as we move forward. So, um, But that's not the topic of our episode today. Uh, no, it's not. I just not. wanted to riff uh, from John Krasinski, I guess, a little bit and offer some good mm. news. Bingo.
1: Uh, it's prom <laughs> the, time.
0: The, the God's playing SGN is proud to said. <laughs> Uh, but today we, uh, we have um, a now budding, famous, yes, exciting, Perfect. novel, accomplished no. author with us. Wow, not, not the author of a novel. No, um, but Father Gregory Pine, as, as I would hope that our listeners would know, recently wrote this beautiful devotional book on the Blessed Mother. I'm co-authored it with Matt Frad. Um, and it's a it's a, certainly a lovely resource. Um, so Father Gregory has been thinking about the Blessed Mother, and that's what we want to talk about on our episode today, uh, as we begin this month of May, which is dedicated to our Lady. Yes, you're with me? okay, yep, that's right. <laughs> not, not our pastor, our Lady. Mm-hmm. Um, as we as we begin this episode, of the Blessed Mother. Um, well Gregory, I I thought maybe you could um, jump in here by uh, by pointing out um, how how your work uh, on on the recent book um, has helped your own devotion to the Blessed Mother to grow.
1: Sure. Uh, what do I? Think? I presume like that, that. I presume
0: that it did that you walked it away the, I I didn't mean to make an assumption. You know, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I thought well you probably didn't walk away from this project thinking less of the Blessed Virgin. So no. Uh, Seems like no, a no. safe bet.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that for sure. I mean, so Marian devotion was a big part of my family's life. Um, my father is very devoted to the blessed Virgin as is my mother, my, my sisters and brother. Um, so like, uh, the daily rosary was a a mainstay in the pine household. I wasn't always entirely pleased with this feature of our public devotion or our familial domestic devotion, uh, on account of the fact that I like, I wanted to like get my homework done and, you know, work more hours in the evening or whatever, you know, crazy things. Um, but uh, gradually, the logic of my parents' devotion made its way to me. And we used to take pilgrimages uh, to Mejigoria, so Marianne, like, or alleged Marian apparition site uh, in former Yugoslavia, specifically in Bosnia and Herzegovina. You don't have to believe in it, obviously. Um, but it's a place where my parents uh, experienced a deeper call to live, you know, uh, a very intense, uh, devout Christian life, to pray the rosary, right, to attend daily mass, to fast to read the scriptures um and to uh yeah i mean to pray so um it was it was a a kind of central feature of our our family's devotion my my parents actually had like a little catholic bookstore for many years and it didn't make any money uh as catholic bookstores are Mm -hmm. wont to do um but it was like kind of like a hub of um christian communion and ministry uh in our in our in our town and it became a place from which my mother would um, kind of advertise and then subsequently leave these pilgrimages to Medjugorje oftentimes, but to Lourdes, to Fatima, to other places, Marian shrines. Um, so it was always big. And, uh, I think, I think a big part of, you know, the, the, the study that we have done in formation and subsequently, and then the preparation for this book and authoring it, uh, was to examine the reasons for which, right. So it's good to believe, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and believing entails, uh, an act of the will, right it's to think with a scent and so it's a choice that you make so you don't fall in and out of belief the way that some speak of falling in and out of love right one chooses to believe and does the things necessary for growing in belief and one of the things uh whereby we can grow in belief is to learn about the things in which we believe which isn't to say that we explain them away right or we kind of dispel the mystery that uh, that is just kind of part and parcel of those realities, uh, but rather that we examine the sense in which the doctrine is coherent. We examine the sense in which the doctrine actually lumens different aspects of our life. We examine the way in which the doctrine, like some of it can, you know, kind of be proved by natural analogy to speak of proof in loose ways. Uh, a lot of it is testified to by other aspects of the faith, like it fits in, things like that. So the preparation made for this uh, was certainly confirming. And it just, a lot of it was was reading St. Thomas more closely on these particular matters, specifically his commentary on the Hail Mary, which is a popular sermon, which is really beautiful, uh, short. And then an academic sermon that he gave called Luke's Sorta, just light has arisen. And then uh, the prayer that he wrote of consecration or entrustment to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, And then like a little bit from the Summa, but simple texts, like there's not heavy lifting to be done. I mean, I write like a maniac uh, with a really strange vocalic register. So the book isn't going to be like, you know, <laughs> it's not going to be like Reader's Digesty. That's not to say it's hard. It's just like, you'll but read what, it and be like, Whoa.
0: what for which dost thou mention by this? Eh, exactly. Yeah. You'll just, you'll read it and be
1: like, what a weird dude. Why can't he talk like a normal human being? Um, but yeah, the preparation made for it was uh, encouraging for me in that regard, illumining. Uh, and it certainly has. Uh, you know, has had its effect. I've started praying another rosary each day. So there you go. There's a cash value because, cause why not?
0: <laughs> wow. Um, I think it's so great that you're meriting graces this way. Oh, s- speaking of meriting graces, um, the, the, the blessed mother has just an extraordinary role in salvation history. And one of the things that I've always appreciated is that the study of Mary helps sharpen and illuminate our true understanding of Christ. Right? So the mm-hmm. basic, the basic and fundamental doctrine of Mary, uh, is this first claim um, and first pronouncement about how we understand her that the church makes when we, when we call her the mother of God. Can you comment a little bit on divine maternity and how Mary uh, and how Mary begins to connect us to, to, uh, to Christ, to God uh, by her divine maternity?
1: Yeah so this is something about which Christians fought. In the fifth century and it was like that that you can look forward to turns of phrase
0: like that in the book
1: (laughs) yeah whatever okay prepositions man they're just gotta (laughs) handle them with care or not who cares all right so um in 431 the council of ephesus pronounced upon this point and said that mary is rightly to be called the god bearer because there's one who right in the lord jesus christ that who is the divine person uh second of the most holy trinity there's two what's right so he has or he subsists in both divine and human natures, which is to say that he's got everything proper to divinity and everything proper to humanity. Um, But on account of the fact that she gave birth to a person, right? She gave birth to a who we we truly can call her the mother of God, right? So the grace that she has given that of divine maternity is the grace, which approximates most closely the grace of the incarnation. So for the Lord to take to himself a human nature, that's a grace, which we call the grace of union or the hypostatic union. And for the blessed mother to bear him is also a grace. Uh, Why? Why this grace? Well, um, Dante has this line that she has the face which most resembles that of her son. And we can say that kind of the logic that we would use to describe the source of the Lord's graces is a logic that we can extend to the blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, She's given such grace because God loves her most, right? Because God chooses to do so. And mind you, there are reasons for which it makes sense, right? That God come and take human flesh at this particular time, in this particular setting, in these circumstances. But it's not as if the Blessed Mother did something ahead of time to merit it, right? She is graced, right? She is highly favored because God so wills, because God is generous, because God is merciful. And on our own, you know, two feet or by our own resources, we merit nothing, you know, like we are we don't have any claim on supernature. And so the Lord just chooses uh, to express a peculiar mercy, in the case of the Blessed Virgin Mary, whereby she is made uh, the mother of God. And you can see how it fits in his divine plan, uh, because it's a maternity that's that's broken open to us. Uh, we hope to have her, and we do indeed have her as a mother, precisely because she is uh, the mother of God. So it's a grace that's, um, you know, that's fruitful. It's a grace that's generous. It's a grace that overflows.
0: Now Mary's response to this grace um, was totally free, and yet we can talk, uh, about, uh, this grace as being meritorious, um, in the sense that she truly, she truly won something, uh, for us by this, yes. Um,
1: can you unpack
0: a little, a little bit of that mystery for us? Um, the mystery of Mary's freedom, the mystery of how it is that, she, how it is that we begin to say that she, that she and, and her, especially her, um, consent to be the mother of Christ, um, how, how this is meritorious.
1: Yeah. There's a beautiful sermon of St. Bernard that comes up in the office of readings in the days leading up to Christmas. Um, it's, I think the sermon is called On the Nativity of the Lord, De Nivitate Domini. But he envisions uh, all of those fathers kind of like uh, of the Old Testament, right? The patriarchs and the prophets um, and the angels even, right? He envisions all of them arrayed around the Blessed Virgin Mary as she prepares to make her choice, uh, Adam and Eve specifically. And they're all encouraging her, you know? let uh it says something like, Let humility be bold, right or let modesty be forward, almost as if to say, like we know that you've been given all these graces, but you've been given these graces so that you can say yes, so do it, you know do it, say yes, <laughs> uh, because our salvation hinges upon your consent, So I think the mystery which is really made concrete in the Blessed Virgin Mary, is that God operates. Um, As he sees fit. Right. So he's not arbitrary in any way, shape or form. But the Lord uh, chooses to have mercy on whom he wills. He bestows grace on those whom he wills. But that's not something that just runs roughshod over our freedom. Right. It's something Mm -hmm. in which we are deeply implicated. So it's a grace that we have to consent to. It's a great grace that we have to cooperate with. And when we do so, it actually makes us more free. Not in the sense that, like, we have more options. Like, before you could eat vanilla or strawberry ice cream, but now you can also eat chocolate. No, it's it's not a matter of having options. It's a matter of being fixed in the good. And so when she's given this grace and she consents to it, she inclines more perfectly towards, you know, her happiness and the happiness of the church. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 strange in that, you know, God— has eternal knowledge, and so he knows what she's going to say, and so is she really free to affirm the thing? Well, God wills that it happen through her yes. He wills that the Lord Jesus Christ come into the world through her yes, and so her yes is prized of infinite importance because on her yes hinges the Lord's plan. Now, could the Lord's plan have been defeated by her? No, no, because the Lord's plan accounts for everything, and if you depart from him in one way, you return to him in another, and yet it is beautiful that she said yes, and we can appreciate the divine wisdom which informs the set of circumstances that led to that excellent moment.
0: Mm. Now, uh, it's not—it's not like a rat eventually finding the cheese at the end of a maze. You know, there's, there's something, there's something truly, there's something truly more liberal there, and, and a real, uh, and, and an absolute, and real protective freedom uh, of the Virgin Mary right? that, that we that we that we have to defend. And without that, we begin to empty. Um, we begin to empty. Uh, her response and then you it's me right so I, I really appreciate all that. I was also thinking too as you mentioned chocolate ice cream about mm. uh, chick fil chocolate milkshakes which mm. you know yeah. which sometimes your mind sometimes your mind just goes there you know
1: but like but as concerns milkshakes right so there's a hierarchy of milkshakes and um usually chocolate milkshakes are good unless they're based on vanilla soft serve with added chocolate because when you have vanilla soft serve and added chocolate, the thing never really coheres, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you're having a vanilla milkshake with like a subpar product and there's like an alien presence, you know, which makes it dirty. Um, That's my experience of Hershey's syrup. If that's not your experience, my my sincere apologies for being offensive. Um, But I like all Chick-fil-A products, though. I will say when I do go to Chick-fil-A, I will get the cookies and cream milkshake, right? So for one reason, well, two reasons, I mean, a million reasons. How many reasons can I list? One of which is, I mean, it's just like it's got it's got it's it's got fuller body than the chocolate milkshake mm-hmm. because the chocolate milkshake sure. feels almost like a soft serve milkshake. It's not, as you know, Chick Fil A people can tell me, but it's tending in that direction, the kind of dissociative thing. But I mean, even the cookies and cream milkshake though pales by comparison to the uh, peppermint chocolate chip milkshake. Oh my gosh, which just devastates me for the entirety of the months of December and January. So good. I'll stop talking about milkshakes. Sorry.
0: Well, I mean, see, see what happens. <laughs> uh, but you did bring up there is a true theological point to be made there though that um, Christ's humanity is not like divinity being added to a vanilla soft serve.
1: Bingo! Exactly. Yeah. Humanity. Yeah. It's yeah, truly. Yeah.
0: It's truly. It's truly. Uh, it's truly. Both.
1: Yeah. It's. I mean, his, his humanity <clears throat> is taken up into the divinity in such a way that it's not like you got a pre-existing man who is then like joined morally to God. It's a. It's a real union. So. Well done, bringing Chick-fil-A back around to the Incarnation. Kudos.
0: Well, with that, we should probably pause for a little break here, and we'll come right back. This is Godsplaining. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. Welcome back to Godsplaining. Uh, We've been talking about Uh, Milkshakes, the Divine Maternity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, Father Patrick's version of John Krasinski's Some Good News, and Mm. our hope for returning to the full practice of the sacraments uh, post-quarantine. There's a little summary in the first part, just so you can remember that we do things on the podcast. Mm. um, I don't know, I guess that's all I really had there. to, To make an argument that something is going on here
1: there you go yeah you gotta justify your existence somehow because otherwise you know the the the, the yawning void is just too oppressive in its visage
0: i think that's right uh (laughs) one of the one of the one of the questions about the blessed mother that we want to make sure that we covered in today's episode which i'm now going to turn to is Mm -hmm. um mary as a mediatrix of grace so we talked about the important way the important way that the blessed mother um, begins to lead us to christ Um, but plenty of people lead us to Christ, the Apostles had a function. Um, uh, we can think of the beautiful moment at the, beginning, uh, at the beginning of the Gospels where Andrew leads his brother Simon Peter to meet the Lord, right? Um, but it seems that the, the Blessed Mother has a, has a different function than that. She's not just, she's not just leading in an occasional way um, that, that other people lead, um, that she has a particular role that she plays in the lives of the faithful. And one of, one, of, uh, one of the ways that we understand her unique role in our own lives is that Mary is this claim that Mary is the mediatrix of all graces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm wondering, if Father Gregory, if you would comment on this great title.
1: Oh, yeah. Totes. So, um, okay, as is my wont when you're like, I have a specific question for you, I'm always like, but what if I gave you a bunch of background information?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's better than what I usually do, which is, but what if I answered a different question?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, like a good
0: politician. That's I hear the, your question. The, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> not the question I'm prepared for, but I'm I'm very pleased that you asked something that's tangentially related. Um, so, you know, so the thing, the thing. Yeah, exactly. I think you know you gestured towards the fact that mediation is kind of baked into our experience of the faith. The Lord uses instruments, and maybe just a word on why that's good. Because God could do everything that He wills directly, right? He could do all of it directly, that is to say, without any mediation. So without any instruments, without any participants in the work. But he chooses to use participants in the work for a variety of reasons. And they're good reasons. Does it make it sloppier? Absolutely. But it also makes it richer. So you can think about like God will sometimes um, like use the prayers of the saints when he goes about affecting change in the world. So he inspires the just to pray for a particular intention, say that you have a brother or sister who has fallen away from the practice of the faith you have a great desire that they um come back into the practice of the faith and he's actually using your desire and your prayers to reincorporate them into the divine life why couldn't he have done it otherwise absolutely right he could have just zapped them with a conversion lightning bolt and made them to assent freely to his offer of grace in such a way that it could not be otherwise god could do that but he chooses to use you why well think about you for the kind of first piece um cuz cuz in this way not only are you a recipient of grace but you're also a giver of grace he's made you more like him in the process because you know giving grace makes us or our receiving of grace makes us uh kind of partakers of the divine life but our now being prayer warriors makes us more like the lord god who is the giver of grace and in the you know in the process we are made uh, yet more perfectly conforms to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the whole point of sanctity, right? Because recall, like, the goal of Christian life isn't to just, like, get the right answer or to be a swell fella. The goal is to be like the Lord Jesus. Okay, so that's for you. But then think about it for the other person, too. They're coming into the faith isn't this, like, strange experience done in a hermetically sealed environment where God just zaps in grace lightning bolts. Rather, their coming to the faith is already part of, like, an experience of the church, Right? It's something that they come to by an experience of communion. And so they are going to be yet better prepared when it comes to the time when they are invited to look upon the face of God for all eternity, because that's a communion and heaven is a communion among the the saints who have persevered in their practice of the faith and in their love of the Lord and each other. Um, and that, that like we go to God, uh, in such a way that the communion now prepares us for the communion yet. So there's like, there's just like real rich logic. And, in the hierarchy of instruments that the Lord uses, you can think about, you know, he uses the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses the church. He uses the sacraments. He uses all these different things as, as mediators, but there's a peculiar place that the blessed Virgin Mary occupies because it's through her that the Lord Jesus came into the world, right? And he came into the world so that we might enter into heaven. God became man so that men might become gods. And so she is this like, especially excellent conduit. She is this especially excellent instrument um, or mediator in a certain sense. Now, whenever you talk about that, a lot of people get nervous about extending mediation beyond Christ because doesn't the letter to the Hebrews say that she is, excuse me, that he is the sole mediator? Absolutely. So we're using capital M, mediator of him, and lowercase m, mediator of other people. So we're not like trying to undermine or somehow like divide up mediation and give part of it to other people. Christ is the sole mediator. Of salvation. He alone dispenses salvation by right. Um, but he uses other mediators, not for any deficiency on his part, but out of generosity. And you can think about it like with respect to the blessed mother, and here I'll just stop talking, this torrent of words has an end, um, that, that he has chosen it to be such that not only do we have a brother with whom we are co-heirs, you know, from whom we learn and imbibe spiritual adoption and our incorporation, in the triune life. But we also have a mother in the spiritual order. Okay. She's not part of the blessed Trinity, but she is a true mother. And as a result of which we look to her, you know, for consolation, we look to her for encouragement. We look to her for all kinds of graces, which she is happy to bestow by the good pleasure of our Lord Jesus.
0: The, uh, the exceptional love that Christ has for his mother, has to be more than just a romantic thing. Um, in, the sen- in the sense that it has to be more than just an emotional thing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and he has to, uh, with all due respect to uh, Father Gregory's mother, Regina, who will listen to this for sure. Um, Boom. Uh, with all due respect to her, uh, Christ must love his mother infinitely more than you love your mother. Mm. And, and I love Father Gregory's mother a very great deal. <laughs> So you know, the, so so like we could, we can could just see that we can just see the the depths of love pouring out here, and um, and we can understand that 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 must have a real effect. Uh, other, otherwise, otherwise it's just words and passions. And We know that the Lord does 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 more <laughs> affecting our salvation than speak at us um, or or offer us or offer us feelings. Uh, that, that, that something real is being changed, and uh, and that the very order of things is being. Uh, is being affected, and reshaped uh, by by his love. So I think um, a- as we as we re- as we really push on this, Mary the Mediatrix, M- Mary the Mediatrix of Grace. Is, uh, I think it's important to see that um, to remember always, um, you know, the, the beautiful point that you made that, that Christ is the, the source of the source of our redemption. That He is our one Mediator, but that that but that the Blessed Mother has um, an important place in you know, the. the in his plan for the reception of graces for us all in the life of the church, um, that that we can really lean on. Um, various Marian dogmas flow from this, right? Like we could think of the Assumption, um, we can think of uh, the Immaculate Conception. How how these. Uh, all end up connected. Um, so I'm wondering, Father Gregory, uh, you know, I'm just kind of throwing things out here as a way of wrapping up our conversation mm-hmm. about the Blessed Mother. But if you could if you could show, I, I think there are a few things that we could say about about these various doctrines, these various dogmas about the Blessed Mother um, that, that reveal a certain logic behind them. So is there a way that you can sort of tie all these things up for us in a nice bow?
1: Yes, gladly. As we approach Mother's
0: Day, come on. I mean, the timing of this episode is incredible.
1: It is incredible. It's almost like we planned it. Um, yeah, I know. Gosh, don't let on. Uh, it should all appear spontaneous. Um, so the, the different Marian dogmas are indeed connected because uh, grace is a, is a unifying force. It's an integrative force. And so we can see the Lord's logic at work and how all of these things line up. And so just to kind of take them in order, that Our Lady is full of grace Right? It's not necessary that Our Lady be full of grace, uh, free from original sin, free from personal sin, and filled to overflowing. Actually, St. Thomas has this question in the Prima Pars on the power of God where he asks whether the Lord could have created a better world than he did. And he says, yeah, of course he could have because you can imagine it and he could have done it, but he chose to make this world. But he says there are certain things upon which he could not have improved. He says the Lord Jesus, he says, you know, our experience of beatitude, and he says the Blessed Virgin Mary. So he fills her to overflowing with grace. Why? Well, you think how it fits into the plan of salvation. He wanted to make not only a dwelling for his son, but he wanted to make a worthy dwelling. So we see how the grace of the incarnation blesses everything that it touches, even by anticipation. And that's what, the same grace which we are meant to imbibe. That's the grace that is to touch us through the sacraments, through our experience of the church, through the proclamation of the word, through our experience of Christian community, things like that. So full of grace. And then next you think about the Immaculate Conception. So in the ordinary course, we are freed from sin. We are liberated from sin. So we're born, right? uh, Having been deprived of the the graces that Adam and Eve were created in. And so we speak about, you know, this kind of privation as original sin, but the Blessed Virgin Mary did not suffer original sin, even only momentarily. She did not suffer it in any wise. Uh, Why is that? Well, because she partakes of the redemption in peculiar fashion, whereas we are liberated. She is preserved. Okay. Because, um, well, for a variety of reasons, but again, the same logic that the Lord makes for himself a fitting dwelling. Uh, and we see how the grace of the incarnation kind of touches each in its turn. So it radiates from the Lord Jesus through the blessed mother, St. Joseph, you know, the saints and angels, etc., And it has a way of making everything that it touches good because holiness is a matter of being set apart yes but it's also a matter of contact it's a matter of touching holy things and partaking thereof and then with the assumption you just see the the term of um of the lord's affection like so great is his love for her that he does not permit his his beloved to know corruption um and you i mean you see this in our own ordinary experience like when uh you know when you love somebody very much you kind of want to like You just want to be with them. You know, you're kind of like annoyed by the fact that you are you and that person is that person and that you can't like have a perfectly whole and entire life. Um, But the Lord wants the Blessed Mother with him, right? And he wants uh, to have her with him in such a way that she enjoys the bodily communion in which he reigns gloriously. And so whether she fell asleep or whether she died, this is a matter of disputed doctrine. But we know that he loves her and as a result of which he draws her to him. So that's the most recently defined one. That was like 1950 with Pius XII. Um, so those would be, yeah, those would be the main things. The only one I didn't mention is perpetual virginity, that the Lord was a virgin before, during, and after. And I, like, the arguments surrounding that are more like kind of involved scriptural arguments, but the early fathers of the church certainly sussed that out in excellent fashion. But you might profit <laughs> from reading a kind of Catholic encyclopedia article that newadvent.com has about perpetual virginity because it's, uh, it's quite the rodeo.
0: Well, that's great. So, uh, as, as we bring this episode home, um, I just want to offer a general exhortation. Call your mother. That's how, <laughs> that's how, that's how Father James Solomon, our novice pastor, would say. Talk to your mom. Uh, call your mother. Pray the rosary in a dedicated way uh, this month. Get Father Gregory Pine's book. He didn't know that I was going to turn this episode into a plug for this book. That's <laughs> totally, no, that was completely me. Uh, and nice. Not the sort of shameless thing that I would do, but not the sort of the <laughs> shameless thing that Father guru would do. Um, get his get his book, get a book on Marian devotion and, uh, and really give yourself over to um, continued reflection, study and uh, practice of devotion to the Blessed Mother um, this month, this month of May, which is dedicated to her. Uh, that's all we have today for God's planning. So thank you for listening. As always, um, feel free to share the podcast not feel free. Um, Consider it a request, a sort of begging plea from Mm. us uh, to continue to share the podcast and spread it. Um, We're delighted that so many people have been reaching out, um, especially in these Corona times, um, that the the podcast has managed to do some good. Uh, That would be the point, because we want to help you um, think think about God in a a meaningful, a real uh, meaningful and uh, slightly refined theological way. Uh, Continue to pray for us. We'll pray for you. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.